0: Brian Nichols you're a great man with some great ideas a great podcast do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people (laughs) yes he's full of common sense and wisdom Brian Nichols here on the Brian Nichols show Welcome to The Brian
1: Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network.
0: Today, I am joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kibbe. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show.
1: Hey, Brian, it's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about
0: Hey, folks, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. I love you. I say that because the past few episodes, you guys have been absolutely phenomenal in terms of not only sharing the episode, uh, but giving some incredible feedback. I mean, just uh, your kind words for having both Hillary and Lillian to discuss their personal experiences, both in their home countries of Venezuela and communist China, respectively. So, so with that, again, please keep doing what you're doing. Keep sharing those episodes. You guys are doing great. Um, and, and I apologize in advance, guys. I, I I couldn't get you out an episode. I actually um, had to reschedule. We're having our friend Keith Rubino back in the show. Um, but I am just finally now getting out of this uh, this gross flu that has been going around. I, I finally have my voice back. Uh, this is the best it sounded in a long time. Um, and I actually am, you know, the first time I'm actually feeling kind of uh, with it 100% today. Well, maybe not 100%, we'll say like 85% or 80 somewhere in there. See, that's how that's how foggy I am today. But uh, regardless, you're still gonna have a great episode in store uh, because it's a bonus episode. When I was on our uh, good friend of the show, Caleb Franz's podcast, Miliberty. Um, so so with that, we had a great conversation about podcasting, politics, and all that in between. Uh, next week we're kicking right back into the swing of things. Uh, now that I'm gonna be you know healthier, it's gonna be great. No more gross sickness. Thank God. But with that. Folks, onto the show, my conversation with Caleb Franz of Milliberty. Liberty.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Mil- Liberty. I'm your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of Liberty for a new generation. I am thrilled to have you here this week. Uh, this week, we are getting into um, an interview. This is going to be actually the first interview uh, that we've had of the new year for 2019. We've just had a lot to go over. Uh, in those first few weeks. Um, But it is good. I I rather enjoy interview episodes because it gives me a chance to kind of take a breather during the episode uh, every once in a while. And uh, this week is no exception, especially for our guests this week. This week, uh, I asked uh, Brian Nichols of The Brian Nichols Show uh, from the We Are Libertarians podcast network, uh, to come on the program now. I've been on his program um, a handful of times, a couple times uh, actually. It was just the last week or the week before I went on his program to talk about the reintegration project that that Liberty, uh, the the Liberty Initiative is working on. So he's a great friend of mine, and he uh, has a lot of similarities uh, between myself and I, and I kind of wanted to. To discuss about some of those, uh, some of those similarities, some of the areas that we might have um, differences—not necessarily uh, disagreements, but differences of perspective—I uh, I think is the best word, or best phrase to uh, to describe that. And uh, we have a lot of fun. We talk about uh, his his interest in podcasting and how he became a podcaster and his perspective on Republican and Libertarian Party uh, politics. So we have a really fun, really great episode for you. Uh, and I am very excited to present to you our episode with Brian Nichols of The Brian Nichols Show. Brian, welcome to My Liberty. I am thrilled to have you on. This has been a long time coming, and I'm excited to talk to you.
0: Caleb, thank you so much, man, for having me on. After having me on my show a couple times, I was I was getting all amped up to come on the uh, on Liberty. So thank you so much for having me on today.
1: Well, this should be a pretty fun episode. You were just telling me before we hopped on that you're all – revved up and ready to go so
0: um i'm looking forward to this uh (laughs) the secret is pre-workout see i just came from the gym (laughs) and i had two scoops of pre-workout versus one because today is i I, see i don't follow the rules i don't do the universal chest day on mondays because every bench is is absolutely taken so i do back and biceps today which i actually feel a more intense workout for for me just Mm -hmm. saying but Gets me all jacked up, so <laughs> you y- you have me still in the pre workout highs. So I'm ready to rock and roll.
1: All right. Well, I I'm I'm really excited about this episode because I see a lot of similarities between you and I, um, and the way that I, not not just in political philosophy and and um, and sort of the way we look at the political world and and our sort of uh actual philosophy as far as as life and governance goes, but also our, um, our sort of parallels between our, our podcasting and, and how we sort of have tapped into that specific liberty-oriented audience in ways that I think a lot of other people sort of overlook, and, and we're trying to have those discussions, so I want to go over a lot of that, um, in this episode, but first, I want you to please, uh, kindly give us a little bit of backstory, give us, uh, give us a little bit of of why you you care about liberty so much, why you are are so involved in, in these ideas and in these uh, in these topics, uh, and, and get us up to speed up to when you decide to start your podcast.
0: Absolutely. All right. So to rewind, um, I was a prototypical um, you know Bush Republican pretty much my entire life. So my my family is uh, very well established in Republican politics in northern New York State. Uh, My dad is the elections commissioner for my my home county on the Republican side. And prior to that, he actually was um, a 15-year legislature chairman for my home county. Uh, My grandfather's been a town supervisor basically for my entire lifetime, and he still is there today um, as the town supervisor as a Republican. So I grew up in this environment of you know politics, pretty much since the time I was born, uh, I, mean, I I remember I was I was like four, five years old, uh, campaigning with my dad, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, going around knocking door to door and handing out uh, literature and stuff like that. So it was uh, it was exciting and to be able to to meet all these elected officials, um, you know, for my local representatives, for for not only the the, the county legislature but then uh, assembly, senate. Uh, and then some of the more uh, the more prominent, and well-known names that a lot of people here will know, such as uh, Rick Lazio ran against um, Hillary Clinton back in the year 2000. Uh, Hillary Clinton herself, I actually got to meet her uh, back when she was my my New York State Senator. I'm so sorry. Um, I know, and and also her <laughs> her compadre there, Chuck Schumer, who was also uh, my New York State Senator. I got to meet him, um, former congressman, and then uh, Secretary of the Army, John McHugh. Uh, Former governor of New York State uh, George Pataki, and not to just keep on listing who's who of New York State, but just growing up in this environment of meeting these these elected officials and seeing the value that politics has in not only our day to day life but also the way that it impacts um, you know our 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 communities and our ability to grow beyond the confines of our of our you know our home environment. So I'm from a very rural and uh, I would say leaning on that more impoverished. Note in New York State, uh, my home county is actually one of the, the most uh, poverty-stricken counties in the entire state. And to see, you know, we had all these grants coming up from from Albany, New York, or uh, coming from Washington D.C. to to try and, and you know make our community better. And I was thinking that was a, a great thing to see uh, to see government trying to help fix areas. Now that's prior to me um, going to college and of course, being indoctrinated by my liberal professors, but uh, that's, not, that's not true. Actually, my, my political science professor, when I went to college, he is a diehard Democrat, and actually uh, his wife is one of the top-ranking Democrats in New York State. Um, but to actually find my views being challenged, where I'm thinking from a big government Bush Republican, from a big government Clinton Democrat, um, and in hearing my ideas challenged... From their ideas, and I kept on hearing basically it was the same perspective. It was just a different side of the coin. It was saying, well, let's just take more government, more money from the taxpayer and put it towards this program to make things better. Um, and I was like, yeah, like," but at the same point in time, like I know when you're doing it, it's wasteful. Um, but what means my side – when we're doing it, it's not wasteful. And uh, then I started to, to learn more about this guy named Ron Paul, and uh, of course his son Rand Paul. And I started to to question more and more about this this big government Republican Party that I've been a part of for a number of years. And um, you know, I, I will completely admit, and I say this as someone who's done a complete 180. Yes, I did um, support Mitt Romney back in 2012, and I I regret it every single day. But at the very least, it opened my eyes to see how backwards. The uh, the GOP really was in terms of reaching these new voters, but also um, really utilizing policies that are based on some rooted principle. In 2010, seeing the Tea Party, um, that was kind of the kick in the butt to say, well, maybe this big government idea isn't really a a way to move forward in trying to actually enact new policy. Um, so, learning more and more about Ron Paul and Rand Paul, uh, going to 2015, uh, I was saying, you know what, I think we need to have one of these these libertarians as i came to learn that that's what they identified as we need to have a libertarian um you know, be be the republican nominee this is a great opportunity so i I really started pulling for rand paul during the primaries in 2015 and then of course the inevitable um trump tsunami happened where he came in and just absolutely wiped out every single gop candidate from former uh, u.s senators to governors to congressmen and just everyone down the line and took them out one by one and uh I was really disheartened to see Rand Paul get absolutely trounced like he did. So then I, I started going more into the, um, the, the activist side, thinking like, what can I do now? What, what, what can I utilize to try and influence other people or at the very least just to, to talk to other people? Um, so I started to, to look for avenues and uh, I actually came across Austin Peterson, and at the time he was uh, pursuing his nomination for the uh, Libertarian Party to be the 2016 nominee for the president. And uh, with that, I actually came across his website, The Libertarian Republic, which I eventually um, started writing for and becoming an associate editor over at. And I, I've been doing that now for about three years, which is weird to even think that I've been there for three years now, but here we are in 2019 already. And, um, and with that, I was like, you know, I love writing these articles, but there's something missing. I need to do something more. So I started thinking back to what's my really preferred medium. And it, it all came back to radio. Uh, back in college, I was on a top 40 radio station as a DJ. And I absolutely loved that, to be able to, to talk to people and, and to you know, throw a little humor here and there, keep things lighthearted, but at the same point in time, um, you know, be able to, to play the music people like to enjoy. And I was like, well, maybe I can use a, a medium like um, a radio show, to promote politics and do it in a fun and engaging way, and this is really at the time when I became more uh, more aware of podcasting. So I um, ended up asking Austin, "Hey, Austin, can I do my own my own show on your network?" So go for it. So I started the Around the Republic podcast, which was a uh, really a weekly um, summary podcast of the the week's happenings in the news. Um, so I did that for about a year. And uh, I've been speaking to Chris Spangle, who is the dear leader over at We Are Libertarians, which is um, one of the top libertarian podcasts in the uh, the nation. And uh, talking to him, he's like, hey, listen, I, I love what you're doing, and I think there could be an opportunity to have you on my network and utilize the, the platform that I have, which is truly a podcasting platform. Uh, so – with that, ended up uh, talking to, to Chris and working some things out. And then starting back in January of 2018, I officially began the, uh, the Brian Nichols Show and the We Are Libertarians Network. So the Brian Nichols Show is – it's kind of in the same vein as Around the Republic was, uh, only instead of just doing a weekly uh, covering of the news, I picked up on a segment I used to do, uh, which was my summer interview series, and I found that people liked to hear – Different perspectives from people across the, uh, the the political atmosphere, and to to have different perspectives given to challenge their own ideas, but then also to learn more. So I've really made the Brian Nichols show in that same vein. So for example, having you on to talk about Mill Liberty, but also for example the uh, the reintegration project here a couple of weeks ago, um, having you on that and to be able to dis- describe what you're doing to promote libertarian or just liberty okay. ideals. In real life, that will actually help change people's lives and help maybe change people's idea of what libertarian is. Um, had people on like Adam Kokesh, who's running for president as a essentially an anarchist. Um, <laughs> people like Jeffrey Tucker from AIER, Max Golker from A.I.R., um, Steve Horowitz. He's actually formerly from my neck of the woods as an economics professor having him on my show to talk about uh, minimum wage and and trade Uh, But then having people who aren't libertarians – I had a gentleman named Keith Rubino who was running for New York State Assembly as a democratic socialist. And having him on my show and saying, all right, we agree almost on nothing, but let's try to find – maybe not common ground on the ideas, but why we believe what we believe. We have good intentions. We just have different means of of attaining those intentions, those goals. So to really have people on a challenge, not only myself but my audience – so, we've been doing that now for just over a year. Um, you know, the, it's amazing to see the feedback we've been getting from the audience. Uh, more and more downloads every single week. Um, so with that, I, I'm really excited to see here we are, 2019, we're getting ready to go into an election year to see, um, you know, the, the even more touches we're going to get from people. Um, the, the guests we're going to be have on, uh, having on are going to be even even better than before, which is no no slight to my past guests, but it's amazing. We're already having uh, these these individuals who are running for president reaching out and saying, hey, you know, I'm interested in coming on your show. And obviously some are libertarian uh, candidates, but also some folks within the, uh, the greater um, political movement. That are interested in, in coming coming my show for other elected offices. So, uh, with that, we got a lot of fun things uh, fun things coming up here for the Brian Nichols show. I'm excited um, just to see how we're we're having more influence in the movement, helping actually educate people on what it means to be a libertarian, but also to promote libertarian ideals in real life. Um, actually, have conversations that educate, enlighten, and inform people. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much the uh, the long version of my transition from a Republican to a recovering Republican to a libertarian podcaster slash um, activist
1: so so what I really like about this is is how many areas of, of sort of overlap that i I see uh, between my own journey and um, not just you know in the in the realm of politics, but also in the realm of of uh, podcasting. Uh, did you listen to to radio a lot as uh, when when you were younger? I, I'm just, I'm just curious because that's that's sort of how I became interested in that. Um, I I know some people have a different route, but uh, I I'm just beyond the like everyone listens to to music radio, you know, that's, that's sort of a given, but, um, like, talk, show. talk shows. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I, um, I grew up again in a very political household uh, household. My dad always had on uh, talk 1400 or 92.7, which was our political talk station up in Northern New York. So I always listened to uh, folks like Mike Gallagher or Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity before he went full Trumpian, um, <laughs> even some Michael Savage or, uh, Mark Levin, um, and then, yes, even folks like Glenn Beck, who Glenn Beck, uh, I started to listen to more as I got um, into college. Mm-hmm. And then once I graduated college, especially during the election, um, Glenn Beck was my go-to podcast to listen to beyond the traditional medium of uh, terrestrial radio.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm I'm really curious about uh, your your political journey. What was it that – really connected with you as far as that issue or handful of issues that made you realize, well, maybe, maybe the Republicans aren't all that I I thought they were and, and Mm -hmm. started to realize that, you know, maybe, maybe I'm closer to, to a libertarian than I am, uh, than I am a Republican.
0: Um, so it, it was really two things. Um, the first was in 2012 after the, um, the election there with uh, Romney versus Obama, and hearing a lot of people that I respected, both within my collegiate ranks, but also folks who are political activists, um, you know, family friends, who they looked at Mitt Romney like, man, just not an inspiring candidate. Uh, he, you know, was very wishy-washy, and then talking about you know the, the GOP as a whole, saying man, if only, you know, they they had been more embracing of same-sex marriage or only if they were more embracing of legalizing or decriminalizing marijuana, let's say. You know, man, maybe I'd consider them because I like their fiscal policy, but, man, you know, I just – I can't get on board with their, uh, with their social policy. And uh, that made me start thinking about, well, maybe we need to, uh, like, make this, like, new age Republican where, you know, it's fiscally responsible but at the same point in time socially accepting – and uh, I actually, I was a big proponent of this new age Republicanism without even realizing that that was basically being a libertarian uh, until 2014 when the GOP won the, uh, the Senate. And I'm like, all right, here we go. We got our Republican Congress. We have our Republican Senate. Like now we're actually going to see Republican limited government constitutional governance and policies and principles start to take action. And then what a letdown because for, for a year and a half to two years, we just see, more of the same, and it's it's excuse after excuse. And I remember, you know, one of the big arguments back with the Republicans versus Obama was the the debt, and like, yeah, like we need to take care of this debt, and they're like, only only if we have a Republican Congress, like we have to have House and Senate. It's like, all right, well, now that we have it, do something. Ah, well, we need to have the presidency first. And I'm like, you, you you guys are a bunch of wimps. Like, mm-hmm. stand up and and actually say what you believe. And then I came to realize, that, well, they don't actually believe anything. Mm-hmm. Most of them, for the most part. I mean, they're. There are exceptions to the rule, um, but unfortunately, a lot of the folks in elected office they they just say what they need to say to get elected. They have no real guiding principle, unless that principle is uh, you know bettering themselves, bettering their crony friends, and uh, and really embedding in, in themselves into the political system for life. Um, so that was the real like kick in the pants I needed to say, you know what? Like screw this. The, these guys, they're a bunch of jokers by and large and i think i need to start looking for for people who are just actually saying what they believe regardless of the little you know letter next to their name whether it's an r a d or eventually things like a big l or a g or what have you for the third party that's available and just start talking to these people and saying what do you believe tell me why you believe it let's see if you actually have some principles that you're you're basing your philosophy on or it's just you know whatever's, whatever's the populist message of the day. So that was really the big kind of aha moment. and I would say I really started to openly identify as a small L libertarian, probably like end of twenty fourteen, beginning of twenty fifteen, somewhere in that time frame. I uh,
1: I, I seem to remember in twenty twelve when um, at the at the Republican National Convention they had that giant uh, debt clock. Do you remember that?
0: Oh. Uh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I um, I forgot about that. That was a huge deal
1: then. That was a massive deal, and that it got me really excited because I I thought that you know it's 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 basic like Clinton campaigning. You know, people care about the economy, so they're running on this. They're running on the debt and how how everything is is about you know liberating the market and making people. Uh, uh, freer to do what it what it is that they want to do with their money, and and I thought that was going to to be the big thing, and I was I was really excited about it because first of all, um, you know, the national debt was like top top two maybe three issues to me personally uh, that I I deeply cared about and I I wanted addressed, and and I saw so many candidates trying to address it and say you know Obama's raised the debt so much uh since since uh, entering the the oval office that this has to be addressed um and i i, I was really excited from the, a conversational standpoint about that but then you know as as politics <laughs> inevitably just gets the best of all of them uh, n- none of them really meant any of that they don't care about it now they didn't care about it in 2012 they don't that didn't care about in 2014, or the, probably the only time that they, there was a remote amount of individuals who actually cared about, um, about that issue itself was 2010. Um, and most of those have either been corrupted or they have been voted out of office. And and really
0: quick, you know, here's a fun fact about my home area. That's actually my, my home district is where the tea party started. Um, so John McHugh, who was the U.S. congressman? I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's a fun John fact. John who? John McHugh. So he was. The, uh, the, I thought you the said Q. McCain yeah. at first,
1: and I was like, wait a minute. No, <laughs> no, no, no.
0: John McHugh. He was the um, the uh, congressional representative for at the time. It was New York 23, and uh, he had gotten appointed by Obama to be the new Secretary of the Army in 2008, nine, nine, 2009. Um, actually, end of 2008 into 2009. Uh, so it pushed uh, a special election. And the election ended up being between um, a gentleman named Bill Owens, who en- ended up winning the election, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. um, versus at the time she was one of the uh, assembly leaders in New York State. And she was um, a Republican, but she was a very, very, very moderate kind of wishy-washy Republican. And a lot of people in the district, which my home area is a very rural very, you know, staunch conservative district and they're like what the hell? Like why are we running this wishy-washy person who's if she gets elected as just you know the replacement for the outgoing Republican congressman she's going to be one of those middle of the road you know Lindsey Graham or John McCain uh, kind of republicans and she's just going to you know pussyfoot around until she finds one area she can take some GOP stance on and otherwise she'll be you know a, a Df rating from from the Cato Institute or Freedom Works or what have you right um so they said you know what screw this and there was a big push by the Republican and conservative uh, groups in northern New York state to say, let's get somebody else in. So they uh, recruited a gentleman named Doug Hoffman, and Doug Hoffman uh, received the endorsement of the conservative party and for New York state politics, um, because it is a, oh my goodness, I forget the name, a, there's a certain name for a fusion voting, I think it is, fusion voting state, um, We're going okay. have multiple, multiple lines and you can get as many lines as you want, which makes you, it put you in the ballot either way. Oh, OK. So he got the so he got the conservative line. And uh, polling came out, and he was actually ahead of uh, the Republican candidate, and it kind of, you know, set off all these alarms. But from the GOP establishment, they started trying to to, to squash it, and they're trying to squash it. Just just got people more and more excited about this guy who's running as a conservative, and actually standing up to the Republican establishment. So people started protesting, and they would go outside, and and that's really where the the Tea Party that that. Real, you know, grassroots movement of saying no, we're not going to take this, you know, this moderate run-of-the-mill Republican. We want a conservative, and that's when really the Tea Party movement erupted. Um, she technically dropped out, um, but she was still on the ballot. So when it came to the election, um, the conservative lost by just a, a under the margin of her votes that she received. So in an ironic twist, the Republican candidate actually pulled votes away from a third-party candidate in the. Third-party candidate ended up losing to the Democrat because of the Republican candidate. So, um, yeah, that was really the the start, if you will, of that Tea Party re- revolution. And that, yeah, like you said, that 2010 to like I'll say 2010 to like 2012, that was like the real Tea Party, you know, limited government, constitutional government revolution people were looking for. And obviously, we see where we are today in 2019. Didn't really <laughs> didn't really stick <laughs> stick around too long.
1: Yeah, so let's let's talk about that for for a second and then I I kind of want to shift into um libertarian party uh, uh politics because you know obviously we both have have some opinions about that. Um uh, what is it that you think that made not not the people in in Congress or not the people in power but the base where where is it do you think that they sort of made their misstep um in a post I would say 2012 world
0: so you're saying like where where did the establishment lose lose it
1: no 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 the opposite of that where where did the the base itself not not the not the people in power but oh, the people okay. who actually went out and Went to these rallies, and,
0: boycotted. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And, and for the longest time, it was just it was about three things. It was about limited government, fiscal yep. responsibility, and free markets. That those yep. were the three items that the Tea Party was founded on, and that mm-hmm. drove it into the national powerhouse that it was. Where, where, in your opinion, I have I have certain opinions about this, but where in your opinion do you think? Um, that misstep started to to happen uh, and and devolve into.
0: Um, I would I would say probably in the presidential primary, um, because we were told that which one we, again? The in twenty twelve. Okay. That that was when so like that that Tea Party um that that Tea Party group within the GOP, I think that's when it really started to fizzle out. Um, because you had a candidate like a Ron Paul. Um, who was running in 2012, and actually he exemplified a great deal of that Tea Party sentiment, much like his son did um, back when he he won his seat for for U.S. Senate in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is is that the the folks within the greater Tea Party movement were told time and again, like we have to get this candidate who is electable by the population at large. Like we need to have a, a candidate who is going to you know be that front. That, that shining face on the, the front of all the bumper stickers and people can say like oh yeah, I can vote for him and he's not gonna be scary on these very hot button issues um he'll he'll be Republican enough uh, and he could win some votes over and I think the the folks within the Tea Party movement were like, yeah, you know what they kind of have a point like we gotta we gotta stick together and vote vote together to get this guy into to take out Obama. And and then what happens is is you put up a, another again squishy Republican and and people kind of bought into that message for a while and then they were like okay well you know what here we we lost the election in 2012 2014 we'll we'll, we'll do this thing again where we'll, we'll elect more and more Republicans and you know once we take over in 2014 that's gonna be that's gonna be the moment and then like we said before as soon as 2014 happened and we had the house we're like. Ah! Not really. Like, we have to wait until we win the presidency. And I think right there, everybody's like, you know what? You're a bunch of liars. Like, you keep on telling us to vote for you, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. You're going to stick to principle. You're actually going to support constitutional government. We're going to support limited government, federalism. And you're just a bunch of crooks. You're a bunch of liars. Let's go ahead and get this one person who's going to go in like a bull in a china shop and completely destroy the thing from the the top down. And who do they go to? Donald freaking Trump. And that, I mean for all of his sins and all of his flaws, at least one thing that Trump has done that is good is he has done exactly that. He has gone into the the bigger, larger GOP and uh, just Washington establishment, and he has completely destroyed everything in his path, and I think a lot of people within both the GOP and the DNC look at this and they're like, oh my God, look at all of these, you know, completely, uh, essentially we, we give them some like higher, higher being level of respect. Like he's completely destroying the credibility of his institutions. He's you know, hurting the FBI. He's hurting the, um, the value of that, the white house serving kids cheeseburgers when they come to visit um, for their winning the, the national championship for football. Like he's just completely discrediting everything and like, the base are like, yeah, that's what we've wanted for the past 10 years, but nobody's listened to us. And when you did listen to us for the first couple of years or so, we supported you. And and then you're like, eh, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And we're like, well, you know what? We're going to have somebody to break it. And and now he's breaking it, and this is what you get. So I would say 2014 was really that moment where people just got they're, – they're pissed off, and they, they decide to vote for the guy who's going to go in, drop a grenade, and just walk away.
1: So I would agree with that to to an extent. I actually um, think it it kind of started before the <clears throat> the pre- presidential cycle when um, in my opinion and and I would love for for your take on this, but when they started mixing, um, basically, diluting the the core message of what the Tea Party was about—the the free markets and, and limited government—and started mixing things like issues sur- surrounding um, immigration and populism, and uh, even even some social issues uh, in, into that mix. And from from my perspective, that's that's kind of where I saw that yes it it had an effect on the presidential election and then the midterms following that and then the presidential election following that um, but I, in my opinion that's where I really saw the the big um, the big instance uh, which I guess it wasn't a singular moment but uh, where where the culture in the tea party started to shift away from those, Core principles to more um, divisive and and kind of negative issues that that they decide to attach themselves with as well.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Um, I, I guess I look at it from the perspective of what actually stopped people from buying the narrative, um, and I I, I mean, we really, we want to kind of look at this from a uh, like a case study standpoint, like from two thousand and I'll say seven through present day, like we have, well, it's funny to say, but uh, we technically have the most connected and air quote, very big air quotes, educated electorate that we've had in a while, because people can use social media, they can use the the beauty of the internet to not only um, learn about every single candidate through their issues, um, but can also interact with other uh, people who are fans or constituents of whatever the the elected official, and try to uh, to not only have discourse with them, but to then um, find those like-minded people and start building these online communities to support candidates. I mean, heck, that's part of the reason uh, 2012 Ron Paul was so successful from obviously a libertarian standpoint being successful in actually uh, basically coming in second to Mitt Rodney. That that was huge. Um, Yeah. So – I think they're being able to utilize something like the internet and build together that that strong arm to promote the, these candidates that represent our ideals was the biggest, you know, the the biggest weapon that the Tea Party had. But then they got to the point they realized that all these candidates that they were supporting weren't doing what they said they're going to do, and they that's when they collectively, as this group, said, uh, "Well, fine then, like we're, we're done." and I think I, I just, looking at it because I, I remember back in college, like Tea Party was alive and well, and it, it started to fizzle off in 2014 when you had folks like you know Chris Christie who was saying he was a Tea Party Republican, and and folks like um, Tom Cotton, you know, same kind of vein, and that's Rubio when people were, and
1: people like Rubio, that, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like that's when things really uh really started to go up the cliff. Fun fact, by the way, um, I actually uh went to CPAC. The year of Mitt Mitt Romney, uh, Marco Rubio. See how close they are, folks? Um, (laughs) It was Marco Rubio's response to the State of the Union. And uh, it was the year that Marco Rubio, he had the water glass and he like leaned off stage. Yes, 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 yes. So at CPAC, he actually did a giveaway for a Marco Rubio water bottle that he would sign. (laughs) And uh, he signed it saying, stay thirsty for liberty, which I still have. And I laugh every single day because I'm like – you cheapskate little least, liar! Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. This is the <laughs> Stay least liberty. For
0: liberty. I am so thirsty for liberty, Marco, and you left me completely—you know—completely you know, completely starved. I didn't get completely any liberty. Completely
1: dehydrated. At all. Yep. That's
0: yeah. There we go. Exactly. I was you know in a desert looking for liberty, and then Marco <laughs> Rubio was, and, alas, no water.
1: Exactly. Um, so so before we kind of switch gears into into libertarian party uh, politics. Um, I want to get your take on on more modern republicanism. Um, you mentioned Trump. Tell me from your perspective as as a libertarian because this is something that I don't I, I think it's a an evolving identity that a lot of small L libertarians face. Like, do I, do I support him on these things? Do I, you know, uh, resent him? And uh, like, where, where is your position in, in the age of Trump on, on a lot of the things that he's doing?
0: Well, um, I think we got to do a Ben Shapiro here. We had to go a uh, good Trump, bad Trump. Yeah. And yeah. I think, um, I think this is the biggest problem with Trump is that people can't objectively judge him and grade him and analyze him mm-hmm. because there's there's a group of folks on the left who anything Trump does they hate him. They, he is he is quite literally every negative idea and personal experience that they've ever had personified in this one gross, just disgusting individual. That's that's one perspective. And then on the right, for the the Trump base, he is you know this. This guy who's standing up for the the little folk in America. He's going to make America great again. He's going to bring our jobs back, build that wall, and he's going to smash the estob- establishment, drain the swamp, which is he hasn't said in a while. Uh, and and <laughs> anything why. he does, I uh, know right. Um, and and nothing he does is wrong. So you have that two, those two very forceful groups on either end, and then the middle. You kind of have this, you know. I I don't like the style of Trump, but meh. And then the other side, you had the folks who were like, well, I don't like some of the policies, but I guess it could have been worse. And they look at some of his cabinet appointees like a John Bolton or or a uh, Mike Pompeo, and they're like, OK, I can take that. But as someone like – again, a small L libertarian, but I also find myself more in like the classic, classically liberal, more of a federalist mindset of how I want to approach government. Trump is – I gave him a solid like uh, B minus, C plus for a grade um, because – Again, there's a lot of good stuff. Like there are some really, really good things that Trump did, like appointing someone like Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, who I think could be the most libertarian Supreme Court we've had ever. Um, uh, going ahead and helping uh, repeal the individual mandate for Obamacare, the uh, the tax break that was huge. I mean, that was a a really you know important uh, act that he helped bring forward to help reduce taxes in America. That's, that's, you know, something that's to be lauded and and we should praise and and hopefully encourage him to do more of. Um, but then conversely, I mean, we had a, basically a year wasted to promoting Trump care. Um, you have his absolutely insane war on trade and thinking that he can win a trade war. Sorry, Donald, that's not how economics work. Um, and then, I mean, this is kind of a a hit or miss, but, but, I know some people are going to be like, yeah, and other people are like, no, but Kavanaugh is not exactly the best nominee that he could have promoted. (laughs) Right, yeah. Amy Barrett was sitting right there or someone like a Don Willette, Like, come on. Like, there are so many other candidates and you had to point this this wishy-washy, again, that wishy-washy type of character in a, a Judge Kavanaugh. So there's that. But then I think the over the overlying thing about Trump, again, it goes back to this. He just destroys like Trump goes in and Trump smashes and he exposes um, the the absolute uh, scum of people who compose the narrative portions of our media. Um, now, I'm saying that to make sure it's clear. It's not everybody in media by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a strong group of people within the media who have a narrative. And it is their goal to present, air quotes, the facts that will promote a truth, a narrative that they are trying to bring forward without telling the whole story just for the main goal of misleading the public, which is absolutely disgusting. Because if you want to support a fourth branch of government, which is supposed to be the media to keep the other branches honest, then the branch itself has to be honest. And a part of this checks and balances, which Trump is doing from the White House, is exposing right now that this fourth branch of government, the supposedly objective media, is hardly objective. Um, I mean, folks like Brian Stelter, who have the audacity to sit on CNN on a a show called Reliable Sources and knowingly omit the truth or specific facts to a a discussion that he's having – Because it doesn't go with the narrative. Like, that's absolutely revolting. Um, If you you guys want to have a good good laugh, go on Twitter and follow uh, Stephen Miller. Not Trump's Stephen Miller, but uh, Stephen Miller from, I believe, Red State or whatever conservative website. He's a Fox News contributor. Uh, I think you can follow him at Red Steez. And he has made it, like, his main mission to call out the hypocrisy in media. I love it because he will take um, screenshots of journalist tweets and, like, from – The exact same situations, but one's under Obama and one's under Trump. And just to show the verbiage that's used and and the the manner which they present, um, you know, present an argument or present a situation as it supposedly happened and how under Obama, there's nothing negative tied to to Obama in any shape, way, way, shape or form. But under Trump, anything and everything should have a possible connection to Trump. Like we got to find where could that connection be instead of what they, you know, with Obama just saying, oh, there might be little tiny stuff, but that's nothing. And just to see Trump exposing all of this because of him being the bombastic, whatever you want to call him, president that he is, who has that group of people that just look at him and can't, uh, they can't control their emotions when they're talking about him. And I just think that, that right there, I think if we can compose Trump's first uh, two and a half-ish years of his presidency, like I think that has been the biggest and the best thing that has come out of his, his uh, administration is exposing the, the folks in power, especially in the media, who are snakes. They are manipulative and they are purposely lying to the American public under the guise of being objective and the – "Quote unquote defenders of truth."
1: Mm-hmm. So, so we spent a uh, better part of almost forty uh, half hour or so uh, talking about the the GOP and how different they have become over over the years. And really, it's it's nothing to to be surprised about. But in actuality, you know, it, it, for a lot of people, especially our age, you know, this is this is quite a telling story. Um, Let's, let's shift gears just a little bit, and then after that, I, I sort of want to bring it back from, to where we started this conversation at. Um, you and I both have uh, very strong opinions about the state of the Libertarian Party. I actually have a bit of a roller coaster of opinions over the past, say, two two to three years. Um, because I think <laughs> there has been a lot of change internally that has been occurring um, within the libertarian party and I'd, I'd love to to sort of have that conversation with you about um, but give me give me your overall reactions of course you say you're you're a big or excuse me a small libertarian and what is it that might be keeping you from from being that big L, you know, bandwagon, let's let's go get a third party elected? Because the one thing that I for all the faults of the Libertarian Party, the one thing that I always go back to as the absolute benefit of having the Libertarian Party in the spotlight is that it breaks the two party system. It 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 gives people um another option that they didn't uh have before they didn't think that they had before and it sort of breaks up that uh narrative that if you're if you're just voting for somebody other than the two parties then you're just throwing your vote away and all that stuff that just drives me insane um so just give me some of your initial thoughts and then we'll we'll sort of have that uh, a little bit of that discussion about um mm-hmm. the direction of of the libertarian party
0: well um I've said this a couple of times on my show, and I think this has become the, the, the real reason why I cannot at this moment, I say that now at this moment, I cannot identify as a big L libertarian because the libertarian party, nobody's going to take them seriously until they take themselves seriously. And I say that from a leadership's perspective, but also from a, a member's perspective, um, Starting with leadership, I'm sorry when you have a chairman who will actively go out of his way to troll people within the greater libertarian movement um, but also folks outside of the movement. That's not becoming number one of a chairman of the third largest political party in the United States. Uh, But secondly, that's no way, shape, or form to grow the libertarian party. As the the chairman of the party, his job is to, number one, help grow the party, but number two, help us win elections. Um, I haven't seen the – chairman really go out of his way to help other candidates within the greater libert- Libertarian Party to win. Um, I think the the focus of the Libertarian Party on these national elections is in- entirely misguided. The, the, the Libertarian Party is never going to win a national election until they start to win smaller local elections. Um, I think they need to have a much more uh, thoughtful process in, in uh, helping support serious candidates on a local level, especially – uh, when you're trying to win, so for example, a school board or a um, a town council seat, because those seats are actually seats that matter, because those are going to have a much more direct impact on Im- impacting the communities that they serve, and it will give a an example to say, look at, see this over here, look at town town Sunnydale. Look how great that town has done since we've had three libertarians elected and they were able to help change the voting on the the town council. Like we've had poverty go down and like to use that as a a case study and say this works and let's take that and bring it to the state capitol and actually make libertarians relevant. That's going to be one. And then from an activist standpoint, the libertarian uh, party – and this kind of goes to the libertarian – the the larger libertarian movement – it's much too focused on proving who's more real libertarian, who's the true libertarian, than they are in trying to bring people into the movement. Um, anytime someone with a non-libertarian view expresses said non-libertarian view, the the almost immediate reaction is you're a statist, you're a socialist. You know, go back to Cuba, go back to wherever these socialists come from, and it's like, well, that's that's great because they were actually you know seventy percent our ally and now they're gonna be like those nut jobs absolutely not i'm never going to to align myself with them ever so the libertarian movement and the libertarian leadership need to have this this reckoning of people outside of our movement outside of our little echo chamber and little bubble of libertarian ideals they don't take us seriously right now they haven't for a while and even though 2016 was the perfect opportunity for the libertarian party to stand up to both parties and say all right Here's the grown-up in the room. We're going to have a, a candidate who is sticking to principles, who actually believes what they're saying instead of just saying what's going to be the most popular or what's going to get them the most money after they leave office. We have a candidate who's coming up saying what they truly believe. And, hey, guess what? It's a message that a lot of people will feel like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, don't hurt people. Don't take people's stuff. What a great message. And then we have a candidate who... Who can't even convey what it means to be a libertarian? Speaking to the nation as a libertarian, saying we're socially conservative—I'm sorry, socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Like, no, Gary, that's not what it means to be a libertarian. But you've said that, and now you completely shut off people who maybe were socially conservative and people who were fiscally liberal. Like, just just say no. That we believe the non-aggression principle. We believe in not hurting other people, not taking their stuff. We believe in free markets. Like, actually talk about what our principles are. But then you have Gary, you know, do the whole sticking his tongue out thing and going, nah, nah, nah. it's like, oh great, that looks really great. Um, and then the whole thing with what are, what is Aleppo? I don't fault Gary. That that was completely uh, constructed by the media. Yeah, yeah. So I give Gary a pass there. But Gary, I thought that was
1: the biggest overreaction. Like out of everything huge, that was,
0: out huge of everything in
1: in 2016 that was the LP's fault. Um, that was not one of them. I did not no. think. I thought that was like if you would have asked me that. In 2016, I wouldn't have had a very good answer. I, I probably would have said the same thing, but because they asked that, now everyone, the whole world knows what it is. Um, yep. So, so yeah, I, 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 I have had a bit of a journey when it comes to the uh, when it comes to the Libertarian Party. Um, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. Um, especially with regard to 2016, I thought 2016 was a botched opportunity. My problem with Gary Johnson wasn't necessarily as much with Gary Johnson because I thought he was a, a good person, a, a, a likable person.
0: Oh, um, Gary's a great guy. Yeah, he's yeah. Just not a
1: good candidate. No, he's not a good candidate, and and more importantly, he had he just had to pick a which I know he himself didn't pick, but it was his supported candidate. For vice president in bill weld that that was honestly who turned me off from the lb ticket more than gary did hmm. i could have i could have like you know pulled my britches up and been like okay let's let's do this for it for gary if say like larry sharp was his vp yep. but the fact that bill weld was was just completely offsetting and i did not trust bill i did not I did not trust Bill to give Gary the right smart. advice. You were smart at to trust bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was that was my biggest problem with 2016. However, I will say I do think that the Libertarian Party has learned a lot since 2016 and I think the 2018 national convention um sort of proves that uh by first of all canning their vice chair um i, I can't even mm-hmm. remember his arvin, name arvin arvin yes 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 mm-hmm. um and putting in a, a really great guy um i i just had him on my on my program i'm I'm really blanking on names uh g- perhaps alex even... merced yes yes uh alex i i had him on my program shortly after nice he guys won. finish free yeah, he's he's very uh, he's he's very great, and I think right in line with the kind of vision that the libertarians should be leading. I think their social media campaign has cleaned up a lot in twenty eighteen. Um, whether or not they really stick quick, with that... out
0: shout out to Jess Mears. Is, Jess Mears has been phenomenal in changing the marketing from from LP National. Yes, been, yes, uh, her her baby is yes. going and fixing that.
1: I have like from a very, like, purely objective standpoint, with these same criticisms that you have had, um, you know, I, w- I was one of the most critical, you know, I I did not want to support the two parties just because they were the only two options, and I didn't want the uh, Libertarian Party to be the party for me just because, well, they're the <laughs> other guys. So, you know, it <laughs> I, I didn't want that. I wanted somebody who I wanted to actually believe in, and a party that I actually wanted to believe in. And I think the 2018 Libertarian Party has become a lot closer not quite there yet but a lot closer and moving in the in the correct uh direction than anything that came out of of 2016 I there were actual candidates in 2018 that I would have happily had voted for and some that I did vote for um in in this past election compared to uh 2018 so it's it's a it's a very mixed bag. I think any you ask anybody who is sort of into libertarian politics will kind of tell you a similar uh variation of of what both you and I have just said. It it's very mm-hmm. mixed and it's like I really want to support them. I really do. I really love the idea of having more voices on the stage. But I also don't want more voices to be on the stage just for the sake of it. I actually want them to be the the battle of ideas, not just a third person on the stage, you know, bamble or babbling about God knows what. Um, so it's an interesting balance because we don't want to be laughed off the stage before we even get there. But we also, I I think that we also have to to look at our victories just as small um, as we want to approach them, because you were talking about, uh, you know, local offices and things, and I completely agree with that, um, but also I, I agree that, uh, some of their, some of their recent changes, obviously, their chairs is still the same person, um, could be better, obviously, however, given the Options that we had I hate to say this, but he was probably the best option for for chairman um out of the if if you were following the the two thousand eighteen convention um, but with a a new vice chair and a sort of restructuring of internal uh politics of everything underneath him and things like the advent of the Mises caucus and, and things like that. That makes me a lot more optimistic than what I was, say, even even a year ago.
0: I'm just worried still that they're not taking themselves as seriously as they should. Um, I, how do I say this delicately? There are a lot of people within the libertarian movement who their role should be relegated to behind the scenes to you know, if, if let's say for example a lot of people who are policy wonks or who are you know they're A plus students in the class of libertarianism 101 they can go ahead and you know read off Henry every single um, Murray Rothbard quote and give you every single economic um, you know economic theory presented by Henry Hazlitt or what have you like at the end of the day um, those folks, that's their skill set. And we have to understand our role in the movement. If your role is someone like that, then be that person. Don't try to be the salesperson. And I, I say that not to to discredit anybody, but the reality is there are people who are better, for example, Larry Sharp, at promoting the message because that's the type of person they are. Um, I mean, Larry... when. To have Larry as the best libertarian advocate I've seen quite quite honestly in a while. I mean Larry was on Glenn Beck twice. He was on Joe Rogan. He was on Dave Rubin. And he he was able to promote the ideas of libertarianism to people far beyond his, his campaign in New York State for governor. But all across the nation, there are people who are listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, listening to Larry Sharp, and they're like, huh you know what? Maybe. Or they're listening to Dave Rubin or they're listening to him on Glenn Beck and they're actually giving libertarianism a chance because they see someone like Larry as the messenger. There are people in the libertarian movement who should not be those types of messengers because it's just not their 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 skill set. So I there's no individual person I want to, to call out by any stretch of the imagination, but if you find yourself maybe leaning towards, like, you know, maybe I am that other person, it's nothing negative. Just stay in that role. Help us build the the, the arguments. Help us better understand what we're conveying and help the salespeople. Help us be the best we can be. I mean, just to, to give you an example, for We Are Libertarians, um, for the big show, we have in a, a complete like SWAT team of researchers behind the scenes who help build up the research for every single episode. So when we go into an episode and we're talking about, let's say uh, the surveillance state, we now have a treasure trove of examples we can bring out and arguments we can utilize to better convey the argument for a libertarian perspective to surveillance to people by and large that they can then say in their own lives, like, oh, that makes sense. Now I can talk about it to people. Instead of trying to go back and learn, you know, books and books and books of libertarian thinkers and writers to try to regurgitate what they said. So I think once the libertarian party is able to have enough self-awareness to understand that they need to take themselves seriously, so people – other people take themselves seriously, part of that requires, again, that self-awareness to put those people at the front. So more people like Larry Sharp and, you know – what happened with Austin when he left the party, like, that was very upsetting because Austin was one of those better faces. Um, helping people like Jason Stapleton or Tom Woods or Dave Smith um, or, heck, the, the We Are Libertarians Network or us, for example, to better reach people. That's the best thing that we can do. Change these hearts and minds and do it through an approach that's not – that's not, you know, the the boring stuff in an encyclopedia. It's the stuff that people can relate to, the, the things that – I know the, the the quote is facts don't care about your feelings, but the reality is people have feelings, and we need to acknowledge that and use our messaging to touch those emotions and to sh- to to show them, hey, I I get what you're feeling, and I understand it sucks. Here's what we can do to fix that next time, and the way we're going to fix it is to to promote ideas and get government out of your life, and that that's what we have to do. I I guess that's the by <laughs> that's the by and large approach of what I think needs to happen for. Not only just the libertarian party, but the libertarian movement. If that's what we want to do, bring people into our movement, actually make substantive changes not only in growing the party, but actually winning elections and changing policy to make people freer, that's what we got to do.
1: Let's um, – as we start to, ro- to wind down here, let's uh, start to turn back a little bit from where we started uh, in the beginning um, so I, I want to have a bit of a lightning round, so, um, you know, we're, we're not ne- necessarily limited on, on time, even though I, I think you are a little bit, <laughs> um, <laughs> Dinner time. But, but, yeah, yeah, but, uh, I, I do to want to have this kind of a, a flowing, um, I'm, I'm not going to have too much follow-up here, uh, but with that being said, you can, you can sort of elaborate as much as you want, uh, keeping that in mind. So, Okay. Um, first thing that I, I want to discuss real quick, what is it that, uh, what perhaps what uh, guest or what episode have you had uh, on your show, um, and this is always a fun one that I like to ask fellow uh, podcasters, uh, but what, what guest or episode that you've had on your show that has really made you challenge the way that you think, uh, perhaps more than than any of the other ones?
0: Um, it's gonna be the episode I had um, back with uh, oh goodness Keith Urbino. Um, so Keith and I, you know behind the curtain for my show Keith coming back on my show. Um, he was a Democratic socialist was running for New York State Assembly. And um, the way I'm not sure if it really challenged me, but it was the challenging of each other because um, mm-hmm. he 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 was a Bernie bro and you know he he actually helped lead uh, I think the Northeast for for Bernie's campaign in 2016. So I mean he was he was all in for Bernie. And um, there was one point in the show where we were discussing um, the the role of government waste, and he's like, "Well, yeah, that's the thing. That's why we got to put better people in role in, in the position to to make sure we don't waste anymore." And I was like, "But isn't that a fundamental flaw of the system? Because as soon as people go into it again that aren't in that mindset, it's going to go back to wasting." And he's like, "Hmm, you know, I hmm, I didn't really think about it like that." And I was like, "That." Right there, boom! Like that is, if I could take one section of my entire show and say, what is the purpose of this show? It's to make people look at things in a different way to help, really, and at the end of the day, educate, enlighten, inform, educate them, listen to what you know is going on in the world, and here's how it pertains to you in, in a libertarian or a free market approach. Enlighten people who are listening to the show who aren't libertarians. They'll be like having that light bulb moment, being like, oh my god, I get it now. That's huge. Inform. I want people to come to the show with a question and walk away feeling that that question was answered. If you come to my show and you're trying to learn about the opioid epidemic and what is a libertarian response to that, I want you to leave the episode feeling you have three bullet points that reflect exactly what the episode was was discussing. And now you can go talk to people because you're informed and give them a libertarian perspective. So that's my short answer. I know it was longer than it's supposed to be, but that's the answer. What, uh, what
1: issue do you think that um, is really what drives you and, and, and what makes you truly passionate about these ideas? And uh, before you answer, don't, don't just say like liberty because that's, that's kind of a, a broad <laughs> answer uh, to, that, to that question. And I, I, I guess most people on this program that I would bring on would, ha- would have to say that. Um, If that were the case, but more specifically, what's, what's the one that made you, I guess, kind of click that made these ideas really make sense. And then what, what drives you to, uh, to, to find those right answers and, and to seek to, uh, to communicate these ideas to other people.
0: You're going to hate me, but it is Liberty. But let me explain very quickly, (laughs) because the reason I say Liberty is because Liberty literally is at the fundamental root of every single problem we have you can look at the the question and say what what was someone allowed to to live their life freely if the answer is no then that's the problem so whether it's you know w- was i able to decide whether i was going to give my money to the government for my taxes no boom there's a there's an infringement on liberty was i you know was i given permission to buy health insurance from a state outside of my own state oh no boom that's a that's a point against liberty so Looking at the fundamental root of every single issue as truly it's a question of liberty, that's what it was – there's an aha moment after I listened to – I forget the speech it was, but Rand Paul gave a speech. And he was – oh, you know what it was? It was discussing um, It was discussing the idea of universal health care with Bernie Sanders uh, during a Senate speech. And he gave a speech about why it would be slavery to enact universal health care for doctors. And – like I, I, knew I was a libertarian up to that point, but then that was the moment I was like, boom! Like, it all comes down to whether we're a choice or not. Like, end of the day, like we want to help people not get sick. We have universal health care, but what happens like if we don't pay those doctors? We still they like they would have to do it. Right? Like, they have to serve these people whether they want to or not. And they don't have a choice. Like, that's that person's life. That's that's so important, and not to have that choice. That was like the moment it all clicked for me. So I know you didn't want the answer liberty, but. Hey, it's Liberty.
1: Would you? Um, I know I, I said I wouldn't be doing any follow-ups, but I, I, I guess you you sort of forced my hand here. <laughs> <laughs> so to get a, just a little bit more specific, um, would you argue that the the economics, the the social issues, or the foreign policy are the the things that? really, uh, drives, uh, the world. And it, it makes, uh, things, if you don't have this one issue, then, uh, you can't help to, to understand the rest.
0: Uh, To to quote my last guest in my show, uh, Johnny Adams from Johnny Rocket. He said, economics is the key to understanding libertarianism. And I think at the end of the day, economics is definitely the, the, the primary example because, um, Economic freedom allows you to live a more socially free life. Um, Economic freedom allows the world to be a more free and peaceful world um, because of free trade and and mutual and uh, voluntary exchanges. Um, So I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to economics. And uh, yeah, that's that's where I'd I'd base my answer.
1: Good answer because I agree with that. (laughs) <laughs> um, and uh, real quick before we hop off here, tell me what it is that was the 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 book that perhaps uh, inspired you the most or influenced you the most in the way of your current thinking.
0: It was a book written by the great Matt Kibbe, and it's also the namesake of my bumper sticker uh, giveaway I was doing back a couple months ago. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. It was actually his book was "Don't hurt people and don't take people's stuff," a libertarian manifesto. Um, that book essentially encapsulates what it means to be a libertarian, and it breaks it down to the most fundamental, easy to understand, um, analogy. And it, well, not an analogy. It's just a, it's a statement of fact. Don't hurt people. Don't take people's stuff. Like that's it. If you can say that to a three-year-old and they get it. Then that's that's a heck of a, a heck of a philosophy. You shouldn't have you should be able to convince your three year old with with that, and that's exactly what you can do. So yeah, Matt Kibbe's book, "Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their uh, Don't Take People's Stuff," a libertarian manifesto.
1: Well, that's a great one. Uh, big fans of of Kibbe and all the all the work he does over at Free the People. Um, mm-hmm. Brian, thank you very much for for coming on this program. We are really pushing it as far as. <laughs> the ex- the acceptable amount of time that we can spend on a program, uh, but uh, I, I think it's it's all uh, worthwhile. I didn't use any notes whatsoever, so I think as Dave Rubin says, that's the mark of a good interview. So um, oh, agreed. Yes, yes. So uh, thank you for coming on this program. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, please give people a an idea of where to find you on social media and where to find your podcast at.
0: Absolutely. So, folks, um, if you're interested in uh, The Brian Nichols Show, you can go ahead and find it at uh, Briannickelshow.com uh, or just Google search The Brian Nichols Show. Uh, we're available wherever podcasts are available. Um, if you want to find me on social media, it's at B. Liberty, uh both on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you listen to The Brian Nichols Show and you like what you hear, uh, please give me a subscribe, uh, downloads, uh, a rate and review. That definitely helps. Uh, and spread the message. You know, share it online with, with a, a member of your family or friends. Share an episode. Be like, hey, I think this is interesting. Um, and if you also you know want to help contribute, if you enjoy what I, I promote every single week, uh, my Patreon is always available. Also at bnicholsliberty. nichols liberty, or you can make a one time PayPal donation. And it's the brian nichols show at gmail.com. Uh, and if you guys want to ever send me an email, uh, please feel free to email me. It's brian at show. Dot com. But, Caleb, thank you so much, man, for having me on. I really enjoyed being on your show today, and I- I'm definitely looking forward to doing this sometime in the future as well.
1: Definitely, and listen to that very clean and crisp uh, send off, and and giving out all those, uh, <laughs> all of those, all those social media tags and everything. It's
0: like I do this myself. All it's the time. <laughs> almost
1: like you almost have your own podcast. It's it's amazing. How about that, uh, Brian? Thanks again, and and we'll be sure to have you on soon. For everyone uh, listening, please be sure to follow me at Caleb France. Be sure to follow the show at Meliberty. sure to follow the Meliberty Initiative at Meliberty.org, all on Twitter, um, on Facebook at the Meliberty Initiative. Check out our website at meliberty.com, and then be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes so that you will never miss an episode or an update. And until next week, we will see you. Thanks for listening to The Brian
0: Nichols Show.